0: Are you guys ready to dive back into Philippians, dive into Philippians chapter 3? And we're going to start, we're going to start with verses uh, 1 through 4. Remember when Paul writes this book, he's in prison and he's writing to the church in Philippi and he's talking to them about having joy, having a single mind. And one of the things that we've learned so far is that if you struggle with anxiety, the opposite, opposite of anxiety is joy. And if you increase your joy, your anxiety drops. It's a spiritual concept. It's a spiritual concept. And so Paul's writing to the church in Philippi about this. And we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. and It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so Paul writes, he says, guys, listen, there are people out there who appear to be Christians, they appear to be religious, they appear to be Doing good things, but they're not. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the one thing that he definitely is is a straight shooter. He pulls no punches. I mean, it would be equivalent to me standing up here on stage and say, Don't go to that church because that pastor is a dog, and don't go to that church because that pastor is an evildoer. And I just started calling out names and calling. This, this is exactly what Paul's doing to the church of Philippi because they know the same people that Paul knows, and so when he says this, he's referencing them. Now, if I did that today in our society, people would be like, oh my gosh, oh boy, oh, you can't can't do that. You shouldn't do that, right? But Paul does that. He goes, oh, by the way, those people, they're dogs. Those people, they're evildoers. Oh, those people, they're mutilators of the flesh, and they're gonna tear you up if you let them. And he's not talking about People that don't attend church and aren't following Christ. He's talking about people that attend church and say they follow Christ. He's talking about people who say they're religious and they look good on Sunday morning, but come Monday morning, it's a different person altogether. It's a completely different person. And so, what I want to do, even though he's talking about the same group of people and he's calling them dogs, evildoers, and mutilators, even though he's talking about the same people, I just kind of want to dive into these three things real quick because they have a lot to do with anxiety because who you surround yourself with can feed your anxiety. If you find yourself having breakfast and coffee with people that all they do is talk about politics and talk about everything that's wrong with the world and how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, it's likely they're feeding the anxiousness and the anxiety. It's likely that the people that you run with and the conversations that you have feed the anxiety. And so, my question to you this morning, just right out of the gate, is who are you surrounding yourself with? Who, who are the people that you talk to every day? Who are the people? that you sit next to at work in in your cubicle or on your truck as you go to the job site? Who are the people that you're talking to? What are you talking about? Is it constantly everything that's wrong with this country and everything that's wrong with the world and, and everything that's wrong with the town, and I can't believe the town board voted that way and I can't believe that they did that? If that's your conversation, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that you're feeding The anxiety, and so a dog. What's a what's a dog? In Paul's day, Gentiles, people that were not Jews. If you were not a Jew, by if you weren't a Jew genetically and in your faith, or if you were not maybe genetically a Jew but you were by faith a Jew, you were known as a dog. You know, that the whole scenario, we're we're better than everybody else. And so everybody else are just dogs. But you know what, you know what a dog is? You ever approach a dog? Do you ever do you ever approach a dog and you're like, I, I was walking in the park the other day and this lady comes up to me with a dog. And the dog looks friendly, it looks nice, but there's always that like bit of hesitation in your back. She's like, oh, he won't bite. He's so nice. He's whatever. You know what? Listen, I have a dog that's is extremely nice, but if she comes up to you, she's going to pee on you. She's not going to bite you, but she will mark you. It's just, I don't know what the deal is with my dog. And so I'm like, I want to pet the dog. I want to be nice, you know, because that's what pastors do, right? You're supposed to be nice. You have to be nice to everybody all the time, right? You're like, Santa Claus on stage. (laughs) And so I go to pet this dog. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is a pack animal. And I don't care how much we think they're domesticated, they're still an animal. I got people here that work at a vet clinic, and they'll tell you that. doesn't matter. They're still an animal, no matter how much they're domesticated. I'm like, it's a pack animal. Right? And so I go to pet it, and it, like, licks my hand off. And Now I don't know if it's tasting me to see if, it's wor- if I'm worth biting because I might be tasty or if this dog really is just loving me, right? Because you don't know about a dog, but dog, dogs hunt in packs. and I'm here to tell you that there are some people that seem friendly and nice, but at the core, they're hunting in packs, and you won't even know it. They'll be all nice up front. And then you get around their friends, and they're all nice, and suddenly one day something happens, and poof, they're on you, right? They're all over you. And we, we run with these people, and we don't even know it until something happens, and then you start questioning, you're like, why was I running with those people? Why was I hanging around those people? They seemed nice at first, but then I got around them and I found out what they watched. And I found out how they talked. And I found out, and, and, so, and now I'm in the pack and I don't know how to get out of it. And anxiety creeps in. And you're worried now about your friendships and your relationships. And you don't know what to do. Because at first it all seemed good. It all seemed nice. And then Paul goes on, he says, watch these religious people that are like dogs. They seem nice up front, but once you get in the pack and get in the herd, and knit, they'll turn on you. And they'll turn fierce, and they'll turn hard, and they'll turn sharp. But then he says something else. He says, but then there are evil doers.' He calls them evil doers. He takes two words and makes it one. It's a compound word. I, I did learn that much from English. Like when you take two words and put them together, that's a compound word. Give me an A, all right? And so they're evil doers. Now keep in mind, who is he he saying are evil doers? Is he talking about the guy who's shooting up meth? Nope. He's talking about the person in the church. They're in church to look good. They're in church because this is where all the money people go to church. This is where we go here to look good. We go here to make sure everybody can see us doing good. We we want to be seen doing good. And Paul says you're evil because it's all about you looking good and not drawing closer to Christ. Paul says you're an evildoer. You're doing it just to look good. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, that at some point in time, we've all done something to make ourselves look good. It may not be attending church, but it might be telling a story where you came out the hero, or you did something on the job that needed to get done, and you didn't do it on the job just to get it done you did it on the job because you knew, knew, by, knew that nobody else would do it and you want to make yourself look good you see inherently inside of all of us there is this thing called the me monster that wants me to look good and if you want to abbreviate you can call the call it the m M&M, and that we all have m&ms on the inside of us right that was a joke laugh it was it was a weak joke but you should laugh We all have the me monster inside of us that wants to prop ourselves up to make us look good. We can all inherently, from time to time, kind of be the evil doer. Oh, it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm doing it just to look good. And the evil doer, sometimes the evil doer does because they think if I do these things, then I get into heaven because I'm a doer. I do, I don't, you ready? This is gonna be bad English. I don't, I don't be a Christian, I do Christianity. And so that makes me a Christian. But when I read the Bible, that's not what the Bible says. Being good for salvation is evil, Paul says. These people are just doing good to look good. These people are just doing to try to earn their way into heaven. He goes, and it's evil, and here's what I can tell you, that these people, mmm, again, you don't know until you're with them, until you're around them, because Christianity isn't about me. Christianity is about him, and it's about my neighbor and him, and him and my neighbor and my neighbor and Him. Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't about you. Go ahead, look at your neighbor and say, it ain't about you. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's about you. Now, some of you are sitting between your kid and your wife. You're going to have to choose very carefully who you tell that to. But it's not about you. And, And here's what I found is that when I put other people first and I put Jesus first and I put others first, my needs get met. Because God says, I can trust you with more. I can trust you. I can trust you. I'm going to bless you with more because you're looking out for the needs of others because I love people too. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he say? He didn't say love others as you love yourself. That was commandment. That was number two. Number one was love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That was number one, God first. Number two was, love others as you love yourself. And the reason that most people can't love others is because they don't love themselves. And all they see when they look in the mirror is, I'm fat, I'm ugly, i got teeth out, and I'm depressed, and I'm this, and I'm that. And all they see is the negative, and so they don't, they just, they're so hard on themselves. I know. I know because I've been there. And I saw where it led me because I thought the harder I am on myself, the better I'm going to be. And what I found out is I just was in a deep well and couldn't get out. Until I got with somebody who counseled me out of that. And said, what are, you, what are you doing to yourself? Love yourself. You've been given gifts and talents and abilities. Right? It's not about you. And so Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He says he saved you not because of all the good deeds you've done. He saved you because of his mercy. The book of Ephesians tells us the same thing. You can't get to heaven by good works, so that what? No man can boast. What would heaven be like if we got there? And everybody's like, look what I did to get in here. Yeah, look what I did to get in here. Looky, looky, looky. <laughs> then we're just propping ourselves back up again. This was never what God intended. It was never God's intention. And so Paul says, he says, watch out for the evildoers. The people that are just doing, because it looks good. On the surface, it all looks good. It's all churchy. When you get behind closed doors, they're not the same person. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not working to get better. But Paul says, watch out for them. And then he says the third The third, he calls them a third thing, and that is this. And you'd have to understand the Greek a little bit to find the humor in this, but Paul drops a little sarcastic humor in the Greek, but he calls them mutilators. And in the Greek, it's a sarcastic play on words because the Greek word for mutilator and the Greek word for circumcision are are very similar and very close to being the same. In fact, they end almost sounding identical. And so Paul does this whole play on words in the Greek, and he says, oh, they tell you you have to be circumcised to get into heaven, and they're really mutilators, and he flips these words, and, and, and it's great humor. And he says, these people are just destroying you spiritually. They're putting in all of the stuff, you have to do this, and you have to act this way, and you have to say this, and you have to do that, and this, and that, and this, and that, and they're making all of these rules for you. And society will even tell you you have to do you have to do this and you have to, if you want to if you want to be this way you got to do this and you got to do that. And there's always these rules. Everywhere we go there's these there's these rules. And Paul says essentially that false Christians do a lot of outward works and they call themselves Christians and they're just not. They're just not. In fact, he says that these people are carnally-minded. Carnally-minded. What is that carnal? What is carnal? Well, it's a church word, and it simply means you're more focused on yourself and the world than you are on Jesus. You put, you're put. you more concerned about your job. You're more concerned about making yourself look good. You're more concerned about all of these other things than you are Jesus. You're more concerned with the affairs of the world Than you are with Jesus. And here's what I can tell you. When you become more concerned about the affairs and the cares of the world, you become carnally minded, right? And in the Bible it says that we are to be circumcised of the heart. What does that mean? That means to cut off the thing that you were before you met Jesus. You know, before I met Jesus, Before I took my walk with Christ seriously, I was concerned about climbing the corporate ladder. I was concerned about my stock portfolio. I was concerned about my marriage and making sure it looked good and it was good. I was concerned about all of these other things than Jesus. Those were my focus, not my relationship with Jesus. And when I came to Jesus, it's not that I don't think about those things. It's not that I don't watch those things and and manage them well. But I realized that when I come to Jesus... That's all his anyway, and he'll take care of it the way he sees fit. I walk, trust, and follow him. So I'm not concerned about, obviously I'm not concerned about climbing the corporate ladder anymore, right? Like, I'm not concerned about that, and I'm not concerned about the portfolio, and I'm not concerned about, honestly, let me be real honest with you. I'm not too concerned about my marriage. You know why? Because Jesus is in the middle of it. I don't have to fight. I don't worry about being the number one man to my wife because I don't ever want to be the number one man. I need Jesus to be my wife's number one man. And if Jesus is number one in her life then I, and all I have to do is play second fiddle, I'm good. Do you know what kind of pressure that takes off of a marriage? I don't need to be the number one man to my kids. I need Jesus to be the number one man and I just be dad, and love them. And make sure they stay connected with Jesus. That's it. That's what I got to worry about. That's, and worry is probably a bad word. That's what I need to be concerned about. That's what I need my focus to be. You guys just get, get with Jesus. Let me help you, steer you towards Jesus. Yes, they have a free will. Yes, that free will comes uncaged in junior high. Yes, it, it, things happen. But I keep pointing them. I keep directing them. I'm the guardrails, Right? When God hands them the Ferrari of life and they want to go off-roading in their Ferrari, I'm like, that's not what it was designed for. I'll be your (laughs) guardrail. Keep your life on the road. You can't take that thing off-road. Right? You can't do that. Um, Unfortunately, what happens is the world bombards us with all of this stuff. We get connected to the wrong people that we thought were religious. We get connected to people that we thought were going to be good for us, and we find out they're not. It increases our anxiety level. Who you run with creates an anxiety problem. And then our mind, it gets dumped with all this worldly stuff. So how do we take care of that portion of our anxiety problem? What do we do when social media just and the first thing you do in the first five minutes when you wake up is grab it and you start thumbing, okay, let's see what happened overnight while I was gone. Let's see what happened since I went to bed. Let's see, let's see. And we get worried about everything. Something happens. We start, all of that stuff gets, it gets dumped in our mind. Dumped in and dumped in and dumped in. And the reason That we are not happy is because we are mentally and emotionally constipated. We are locked up up here. We are so locked up. We're afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody. It's just easier to text. We're so afraid that we may not have the words on the spot. We're so afraid to go in and talk to our boss. We're so afraid. Uh, uh, I better, I better look around. I better not get on the interstate because it's just crazy people out there. And we're so afraid and we're so mentally locked up that we can't focus on Jesus We can't focus on Christ because we get all of this stuff dumped into us. And our friends tell us, yeah, did you see that in the newspaper? Did you see, I tell you what, I don't know. And, and, And it just pours and pours and pours and pours in. Jesus says, cast all of your anxiety on me. I care for you. To cast... Means to throw as hard as you can and leave it. The problem is, we go to Jesus, Jesus, and no, I've got this. I've got this problem, and I'm just going to set it here, right here. Jesus, I'm going to set this right here. You take care of that, okay? And we start to walk. We look back over our shoulder, and it's still sitting there. Jesus, you didn't take care of this. Can, could, could you just take care of this? It's still sitting here. And, and I'm okay. 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 Oh my gosh, Jesus, it's still here. What are you doing? It's still here. You haven't taken care of it. He's like, throw it, get rid of it. I'll pick it up and deal with it when it's time. Until then, leave it at my feet and go on, and go on. We get so concerned. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. To be concerned about the things of this world and and to be consumed. By the things of the world, he says it's death. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to drive yourself to an early grave. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To focus on the spiritual realm, the things that Jesus wants me to do, and to focus on my relationship with Jesus, that's life and peace. But to be carnally minded, I'm just going to drive myself into an early grave. Joshua says that for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And Paul goes on, and he says that, he says in verse 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, talking about spiritual circumcision, we who serve God, and that's spiritual circumcision, cutting ourselves off from the things of the world that bring us down that do not glorify and edify Jesus, cutting those things off, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence, no confidence, confidence in the flesh. Right? We worship God by the Spirit. It's funny because we live in a world and an age where we want to we want to work. If you think of it in terms of muscle, right? And I used to work out a lot more than I, than I do now. And so when school starts, I'm going to go back to the gym. That's what I keep telling myself. I'm going to start getting back up. I'm going to get back up at 5 a.m. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do what I need to do, right? And so we flex. And you know what happens when you start to work out? Those muscles that you haven't used in a while, some of you know, onset, anybody ever had onset muscle soreness? Like you work out and the muscle, yeah, okay, you know, right? You work out and the next day or two days later, you're like, you can't get out of bed. You're like, I didn't feel this way after I lifted, but a day or two later, you can't hardly move. Why? Because you've worked that muscle so much and so hard that it's like, oh, I can't move. I can't move. And here's the thing. We have all sorts of unseen muscles, and we're so used to having our senses stimulated that if it doesn't stimulate our sense, if it doesn't stimulate our eyes and our ears or our tongue or our nose— If that gets messed up, then we don't know what to do because we work those muscles more than we work our spiritual muscle. We work those more than we work our faith muscle. We work those more than we work our peace muscle and our generosity muscle. And we work those so that when we go to God, we go to God when all of a sudden the bank account's running low and I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. Jesus, I need you to come in because right now I'm not feeling safe because the bank account's low. We can go to God with that. Because why? Because it's affecting our sensual, it's it's affecting my safety muscle. We can go to God when all of a sudden the spouse says, I don't feel like the marriage is working. And we go, oh my gosh. And we run to the preacher for help. Because why? Because now all of a sudden that's affecting my relationship muscle. As long as something's impacting our, our those sensual muscles, those, those types of things, we go to God. But when's the last time we went to God to say, hey, God, I'm here. Thank you for today. I love you. I want you to know that I'm here to serve you, whatever I can do today. When's the last time you worked your muscle without the bank account being low? When's the last time you worked your spiritual muscle without there being a relationship problem? When's the last time you worked your spiritual muscle without there being something threatening you. You just went to God and said, God, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do whatever you want me to do because I'm yours and you're mine. And we're in this to the end. That's what it's about. But we can go to God all of a sudden when something's affecting us. No, you know what happens when we feel good? We want to get on social media and let everybody else know about it. And we want to get 50 likes from people that will never show up to our funeral or never come see us in the hospital. But when we feel, why? Because we can sense that and we feel it and it makes us feel good. But we don't want to go to God when we feel good because, well, it's just kind of like sometimes it's crickets. And I don't know if he's really going to listen to me and I don't know if he really cares. But he's spent nearly 5,000 years putting this together to let you know he cares? Nobody on social media is going to spend 5,000 years with you. Just not. Right? So all of a sudden when our senses get rocked and safety gets rocked and relationships get rocked, then we want God. But when things are going good, you know what? I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call Susie. We're just going to talk because I feel so good. Put the phone down. Talk to Jesus. He's going to feel even better. We always want to work, as as long as we're in trouble, we need God. But when things are going good, it's all good. I'm going to talk to somebody else because, why? Because I know they'll talk back to me, and I'll work that sense, that muscle, and it'll feel good. We need to talk to God even when things are going good, as well as when things are going Bad. The reason that we can't, when the band starts playing, right, and and it's going good and the spirit's moving and and you're like, man, I see everybody else with their hands lifted or I see somebody else clapping or I see somebody else just kind of swaying and I'm kind of into it. The reason you can't do it is because you haven't worked your worship, worship muscle. Oh, you agree with the lyrics of the song. There's nothing wrong with it. You're with it, but spiritually you are on fire because Monday through Saturday you've been doing nothing with your spirit. So when you show up to church on Sunday morning, you don't got a muscle to work. Spiritual entropy has happened between Monday and Saturday. So when you show up as a group, you don't know what to do. We should come to church with an expectation. We should be working out our spiritual muscles Monday through Saturday when things are going good and worshiping God on our own. And yeah, singing in your car and worshiping God while you're driving. Worship God in the shower. And worship God wherever you're at so that you're working that muscle so that when we come together, there's a bunch of spiritual muscle in here that gets exercised. Because when I work a muscle that hasn't been worked, it hurts. It hurts. And that's why 30 seconds into prayer, you're going, I wish they'd hurry up because I can't stand much longer. One minute into prayer. Okay, look, it's been one minute. It's been 60 seconds with God. Now it's time to come on. We need to move on. Because your prayer muscle hasn't been worked. I am thankful that in my life, I've had some grandmas. They're like bodybuilder, spiritual. They'll pray all night long. Do you know what I'm saying? Anybody had a grandma like that? Like, they just pray. That muscle is strong. And they can pray, and they can pray, and they can pray, and they can pray, and they can pray pray until the gates of hell fall off, and every demon that's plaguing every thought in my mind is running in fear. That's where I want my prayer muscle to be. You ever see people that can just worship for two hours with music, and they don't care if their body hurts, they don't care if their feet are throbbing, they don't care, because Jesus is a primary, Jesus takes precedence over how my body feels. I don't care. This thing's going to die anyway. The Bible says it's a tent. It's just here keeping my soul and spirit on this planet. And when it dies, my soul and spirit go someplace else. So if you choose to throb, you go ahead and throb because you're just a tent. And I'm sorry your stakes, the tent stakes hurt right now. But I'm going to worship Jesus anyway. Because I'm worshiping God with my spirit. The Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes you just got to tell your flesh to shut up. Pain, you can keep coming because I'm not stopping. We need some Christians and some people that tell their body to shut up. I'm worshiping Jesus. Tell your neighbor, look, I'm sorry, I can't make that. I've got to go to spiritual fitness today and get my Jesus on and flex my spiritual muscle. The reason that five minutes into worship, you're like, oh, this is a great song. I don't like this song. It ain't about the song. It's not about the lyrics. Well, it is. It's not about the notes and whether you like them or not. It's about are you focused on Jesus Christ more than you're focused on your own needs? Unfortunately, most of us aren't because we're so carnally minded that when we walk in here, we're like. (sighs) Some of you turned to your neighbor and you went, it's not for you. It's for you. Like, there should be fire and passion on the inside of us that says, I don't care what you think. Some of you right now are going, is he going to keep talking? I need to go home. The Bible says that Apostle Paul talked all night long. That one dude fell asleep in the windowsill, fell out three stories, and Paul's like, I'll be right back. Prayed for him, brought him back to life, came back up and kept going at two in the morning. Some of you, as, soon as the dude fell out the window, been like, Yeah, it's time to go, and that dude died. <laughs> that dude done, did, died. I can't sit here no more. I preach so much I already worked up a sweat. The point is, is this to struggle with anxiety with your peers, is to simply say, I'm too focused on all of what everybody else thinks, and I'm not focused enough on what Jesus thinks. That if I were to come in here and worship, do you know, people are like, why do we have to sing songs? Could you just talk? Could you just talk for an hour, and then we can go out there, and I'd just be all intellectual? You know the problem being all intellectual? There's no morality behind it. Spirituality brings morality. I can sit up here and be all intellectual I want. You know that they've done studies on worship and music, and they found that it literally recalibrates the brain. Your neurons fire differently. The neurons actually begin to shift, and the more time you spend worshiping God, the more you actually start to physically readjust the neurons in the brain. Why? It's a cognitive recalibration towards the things of God. It's a cognitive recalibration... I've got some music people in here, and they know music recalibrates and rewires the brain. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, some of us, let me just talk to the parents who have teenagers right now. If you don't have teens, you got teens coming up. Listen, if you've already had teens, just amen me, because I'm going to be Right? There you go, thank you. All right, listen. The reason that so many teens are teen sickles, are teen sickles, and not on fire for Jesus is because we've got too many popsicles and too many dads that aren't on fire for Jesus, so they don't see dad on fire for Jesus, so I'm gonna sit here and be cold too. The reason we have teen sickles is because we have popsicles. I need to find some men. This is what's exciting me about this community group coming up this semester. These community groups, because there are like men groups, and men need to get involved and lead the way spiritually. I'm here to tell you, men, that women are craving men to lead spiritually. You don't even have to know what you're doing. Your dad might have been a bad example spiritually. All you have to do is say, honey, can we just, can I pray for the dinner? And she'd be like, like, you just baked a whole pan of brownie points you don't even know. Honey, can we get up and go to church this morning? I don't know where the old husband is, but he just I keep the new one, right? I'm telling you, I don't care how many touchdowns your kids score or how many home runs they hit, the number of interceptions is not going to hold their marriage together. It's not. The number of home runs they hit is not going to help them climb the corporate ladder and do things right morally. It's not. I remember growing up, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If all of a sudden we started doing that, half of you would be like, "Mm I ain't got time for that. And then wonder why your kids can't hold stuff together. And then wonder why they aren't drawn closer to Jesus. And wonder why they've got all the problems they've got in their life. I can't believe you had that in your locker. What's wrong with you? Where are they going to learn about this stuff? Who's going to teach them right from wrong? Who's, who, what circle of friends is going to incorporate them around them? Dads, it's time to stop being popsicles. Right? It's time to start being like Jiffy Pop and get on fire and pop, pop, pop for Jesus. Right? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. I want some men that are jiffy-pop for Jesus, that are going to pop for Jesus and be on fire and say, you know what, we're going to church and we're going to worship and we're going to take care of the anxiety problem because I'm going to recalibrate our brain to worship. Amen. Amen? So if you're here this morning and we close out with song, for some of you this might be a first. Just stand there like this, you could just do a little bit of this, right? That might be outside the box for some of you, that's okay, right? Some of you might be like, that's okay. The point is, is that we begin to worship Jesus and set the example so that when the world looks into this spiritual fitness in here and goes, how's come the anxiety is so low and how's come you guys are laughing and things are going good? You say, you know what? It's the greatest commandment. I put Jesus first, others second, and it works. If you want to rewire your brain against the anxiety of your friends, Examine your friends, begin to worship Jesus and let the brain worship Him in spirit. The body isn't going to feel it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like I said last week, right? You don't feel your way into believing, you believe your way into feeling. And what you believe, you will begin to feel. You've got to work, you just got to work it. This morning, if you're here this morning, you need to pray for anything. If you need prayer for your job, maybe for a relationship for your kids. It could be as simple as my refrigerator stopped running and I don't have the money for it. We want to pray with you. If I could ask Aaron and Lori to come down here on this side, if I could ask Steve and Bonnie to come down on this side, and we just want to pray with you as we close out in song this morning.